podcast about the climate solutions happening today. Warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, the trans-Tasman network of climate-engaged podcasts. I'm publisher Mark Spencer, and today I have the privilege of announcing and sharing with you the first episode of the newest show on the Climactic Collective, Regionomics Down Under. Now, for those of you who've been listening to Climactic for some time, you'll probably already be familiar with Lee Baker. Lee was one of the early inspirations for me in starting Climactic, and I've got a little anecdote I'll share with you in just a second, but she was also the first repeat guest of Climactic. Her first appearance being just a few months after we'd launched. On August 29th, Lee Baker, The Power of Systems, Optimism, and Project Drawdown, and then again on November 14th in an episode called Hacking Human Systems for Climate Progress. Lee's pragmatism, her systems-thinking approach, her focus on solutions, had been a big inspiration to me. And so it was, I think, in June of 2018, just a couple months after launching Climactic. It was at an event in the city of Melbourne, the Social Innovation Network, which is a group of businesses who want to do good, not just make profit, uh, social enterprises, people like that that at the end of an event, there was a chance to talk about what you're doing yourself. And so I took the opportunity and stood up in front of a room full of people and talked very briefly about Climactic and what I was hoping to build the podcast into. And so it was that Lee came up to me after that. And so it was that Lee came up to me after that and introduced me to Drawdown, edited by Paul Hawken, this amazing catalog of climate solutions technologies we already have, and just how much quantified impact each solution could have. It was a great pleasure having Leon as a repeat guest, and an even greater pleasure now seeing her launch her first show. So I want you to settle in, set your mind to solutions, and enjoy episode one of Regionomics Down Under. And to get more and subscribe to this new show, head to climactic.fm and click on the fantastic Regionomics Down Under cover art and hit subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Cheers! We would want to do these. They have so many benefits in terms of jobs, prosperity, our children, clean water, clean air. It goes on and on and on. So this idea that we have to do these things, you know, to fix the climate, you know, is really not the way to look at it. We need to do these things to transform our civilization and our relationships to each other and the place we live. Welcome to Regionomics Down Under. Welcome to Regionomics Down Under, where we explore the wealth of climate solutions happening on the ground in Australia and around the world. I'm your host, Lee Baker, a supply chain consultant turned regenerative business logger and podcaster. 
This show is all about happening climate solutions. And in this first episode, we're exploring evidence-based commercial solutions that have been modelled and ranked by Project Drawdown, with some help from its founder, climate solutionist Paul Hawken. What Drawdown is, is solutions. But what we did basically is hold up a mirror to the world and saying, this is what you know, this is what we know, and this is what we're doing. While it's not evident in the mainstream media, hundreds of climate solutions are happening all around the world. There are millions of people busy working on smarter, safer, fairer systems. Some are inside government, but many more are ordinary people fixing their bit of the world. We've actually known about global warming for a while now. The first scientific warnings about the risks of climate change caused by burning fossil fuels date back to the 1860s. In the modern era, climate change was in the news in the New York Times back in 1956. Through the 60s and the 70s, increasing concerns were raised on climate and other environmental issues. One thing that happened was the formation of a group of concerned scientists and thinkers called the Club of Rome, who wrote a report called The Limits to Growth in 1972. Concern about this environment thing got more serious and more organised throughout the 1970s and 80s. And in 1988, the International Panel on Climate Change was established. Over the years, there's been an increasing amount of research into the cause of the problems. The IPCC has millions of data points behind their research. At the same time, the world's innovators and entrepreneurs have been building solutions from renewable energy to regenerative agriculture. What's been missing has been a plan, a quantified analysis of the full spectrum of existing actionable solutions. That changed in 2017 with the publication of the first Project Drawdown report. In my assessment, Project Drawdown is one of the most important climate studies ever done because it quantifies and models the full spectrum of existing scaling commercial solutions, many of which are seriously surprising. Everyone who wants global warming solved should know about Drawdown, especially just how rigorous it is and why it's such a strong foundation for action. Drawdown will be an ongoing reference point throughout this podcast series, both the solutions it quantifies and the principles behind them. Project Drawdown started in 2014 when environmental entrepreneur and science commuter Paul Hawken, along with fellow change agent Amanda Ravensworth, founded Project Drawdown to answer a specific question. What would it take to get to a point where year on year our systems draw down greenhouse gases from the atmosphere? Here's Paul Hawken talking about how Project Drawdown started. In 2013, the reason Drawdown started 
even though I had thought about it for many years and asked other institutes to do what I'm going to describe, none of them could have wanted to. But in 2013, Bill McKibben wrote a piece in Rolling Stone called Global Warming's Terrifying New Math. And I had many friends who were literate, active, effective with respect to climate who came to me and used the same word over and over again, which is, it's game over. In other words, we, we lost it. We blew it. And I had a different response to that, which I felt like sometimes when you give up and surrender, it's game on. <laughs> I think it's game on, actually, not game over. What happened is Drawdown started in 2014 to map, measure, and model the 100 most substantive solutions to reversing global warming. And the first thing I wanted to do was name the goal. If we don't name the goal, we're not going to achieve it. Mitigation is not a goal. Fighting is not a goal. A crusade is not a goal. Combating, tackling, these verbs that are used are not goals. What's the goal? The goal is to reverse global warming, to reverse emissions. So let's name it. And the second thing is, can we achieve it? And what we did by mapping, measuring, and modeling the most substantive solutions is something that had never been done. In 45 years, global warming has been definitely in the public sphere. No one's ever done it. No MIT, no Harvard, no Princeton, no Stanford, no UN, no IPCC. No one's ever done it. Why? That's an anthropological question. I have no idea. So we had no money. I had received $100,000 from an Italian philanthropist to write a book, not this one. And so I gave it to a new fledgling NGO, us, Project Drawdown. And since we had no money to hire scientists, we put out the word all around the world for Drawdown Fellows. And we were overwhelmed with applications. These people are from 22 countries, six continents, and they basically wrote master's theses on each solution and then used the vector model that we developed. So what I want you to take from this is that we were a collaborative. It wasn't somebody knowing or doing and saying what they think. It was a group of us coming together and saying, what do we know? You know, can we learn together? Can we discover something that hasn't been brought forth, which is what it is we know, actually? So the solutions we modeled are extant. They exist. We know how to do them. We are doing them. We have data. Everything we modeled, we use peer-reviewed data. If it wasn't peer-reviewed, we didn't model it. We had economic data from the most respected economic institutions in the world, IEA, the World Bank, IPCC, Bloomberg Energy. So what Drawdown is is solutions. But what we did basically is hold up a mirror to the world and saying, this is what you know. This is what we know. And this is what we're doing. This isn't a message of you're not doing something. You ought to do this. You know, don't you feel bad about it? You're an individual. What are you doing? There's no guilt tripping, right? And so Drawdown took a very different approach to climate communication. We put in it you know, these solutions, but we never advocated. We never said should, ought, need to. You know, That was for you to make a decision. We told stories. We brought it out. You know? We never used fear, threat, doom. We never finger pointed. We never demonized. We never said somebody's bad or wrong. So it's a very different approach to communication. What you see is the rank of the solution, you'll see 
how much CO2 or CO2 equivalent is reduced. Every solution was scaling, and we continued to scale it until 2050. That was our assumptive method. And we did it against the business-as-usual scenarios of the World Bank and the IPCC and the IEA. So they have actually baked in solar and wind and so forth. And so this is basically projecting these solutions out over time. This is wind, the number two solution. And you can see the net savings over 30 years, $7.43 trillion. It's gone way up since 2017 when this book was published. So again, when you look at these solutions, what happened when we did the math, because that's what we did, we did math. We just read the literature and did the math. And here's the math, here's the math. Is that the diverse ways in which we can work together to this is extraordinary because it's a system that created the problem. It's a system that heals it and cures the problem. And it just underlines one of these uh, important points. These solutions are no regret solutions except for one, which is nuclear. And that is to say we would want to do them if there wasn't a climate scientist alive and we were clueless as to what causes extreme weather. We would want to do these. They have so many benefits in terms of jobs, prosperity, our children, clean water, clean air. It goes on and on and on. So this idea that we have to do these things, you know, to fix the climate, you know, is really not the way to look at it. We need to do these things to transform our civilization and our relationships to each other and the place we live. You're listening to Regionomics Down Under with Lee Baker. So that's the story of the first Drawdown Report, published in 2017. It's an ongoing project, with the Drawdown 2020 review produced last March. Here's a summary of what Drawdown found. Firstly, we can reverse the process behind global warming, just using the quantifiable multi-benefit commercial solutions we already have scaling, particularly if we pull our fingers out. Secondly, none of the top 80 commercial solutions require further policy change from any national government in order for these solutions to happen. After all, they are commercial and scaling. As Paul Hawkins said, 79 of those solutions are multi-benefit solutions that make the world better anyway. The only harmful transition solution was nuclear. Thirdly, those solutions cover the whole of the economy. They are about much more than just renewable energy and transport. They include food, farming, construction, education, health and manufacturing which means there's a role for anyone who wants to play. More excitingly, the high potential new solutions that don't yet have peer-reviewed data sets are looking likely to be every bit as powerful and even more regenerative than those we already have. So here now today, we know how to solve global warming and we don't have to wait for government anymore. And there's far more interesting stuff to do than just use less and lobby your MP.
Here's Paul Hawken again, giving a brief introduction to the breadth of the Drawdown Solution set. What surprised us, we had no idea. If we had made a, uh, a list of what the top solutions were, we would have been just like Al Gore. You know, wind, solar, solar, wind, who knows, you know, EVs for sure. But that's not what happened. Food came out the number one sector. Who knew? Food? What are you talking about? Why? Food is 24% of the emissions. It's like transport. The two of them are the two top sectors in terms of emissions. But food can do something in land use and regenerative agriculture and managed grazing and so forth. It can sequester carbon. So it's a twofer. That's why it's number one. Electrical generation is number two, but you combine land use, which is pretty much all of food except for plant-rich diet and food waste. I mean, it's extraordinary what we can do with biological systems. But what surprised us was number one. And we were so disappointed. If we wanted something really sexy, and it was refrigerant management, we're going, oh, no, refrigerant management. But it's true. It's, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 times more powerful than CO2 is the gases in our air conditioners and refrigerators. They're just going up all the time from bad maintenance and also from recycling in the developing world. People throw them away, and they recycle. Up they go. And this is also what surprised us. This little cutie pie. This is educating girls. And educating girls is there, number six, because if you yank a girl out of school, which she's often done in other countries, to go to work for her brother or early marriage, usually one of the two, for cultural reasons, religious reasons, she has a very different life and she makes very different choices because she actually doesn't make many of those choices. They're made for her. If she's allowed to go to school and to high school, matriculate, she has an average of two children. The one yanked out of school has an average of five plus children. And the one who has two children has more education, better income. She takes better care of her children. They're better off. They're healthier. They repeat their mother's behavior. What you have here is family planning, but it's not family planning from the top down. It's from the empowerment. And you combine that with family planning, the traditional way, which is clinics all over, and I don't just mean Africa, I mean Alabama too, and South Central, for women so they can support their reproductive health and well-being, you put those two together, number six and seven, the difference is the UN high and median population number in 2050, that's all it is, and the UN says it's due to family planning, and you put the two together, and the number one solution to reversing global warming is the empowerment of girls and women. That's number one. And again, why don't we hear that? Why do we keep hearing solar and wind? Again, very important. But the idea is somehow there's a techno fix out there. Yes, there is, but that's not the whole picture. And basically what you're seeing here is all the solutions. It's the system that caused the problem. It's the system that heals it. In other words, it's everything. There's no such thing as a small solution. You know, they're all important. You're listening to Regionomics Down Under. The list of 80 commercial quantified drawdown solutions can be a bit overwhelming. And in the book and the open source of results, each one can only have a page or two of explanation. So knowing the names of them may not give you a 
detailed picture of how they're happening on the ground. Let's look at a couple of them and what they look like in real life in Australia. We're going to talk about two examples. The first is forest regeneration. On the initial drawdown list, tropical forest regeneration ranked number five, while temperate forest regeneration came in at number 12. And we have a combined example happening in Queensland. We'll also look at insulation, which came in on the original list at number 31. Both solutions are examples of what small groups of concerned Australian citizens created. Here's the first one on forest regeneration told by Jess Panagiris from the Australian Environmental Groundmakers Network. We got Reputex, which is a carbon firm, to model the amount of land carbon that you could save if you ended land clearing and put some money into carbon sequestration. And the numbers were pretty staggering. If you just end land clearing alone and invest $5 billion in sequestration, you can save up to 850 million tonnes of carbon by 2030. If you do that in a way that's good for biodiversity, you can start to restore wildlife habitat, you can create jobs for traditional owners and local communities and landholders. And in fact, to give slightly personal story, but in 2017, my colleague Glenn Walker and I decided, we looked at this modelling and we thought, we want to see this come to life. How do we do it? And so we spent six months going and talking to land carbon experts around the country, including Professor Will Steffen, and we came up with this idea for a land restoration fund where basically governments would pay for biodiverse land sequestration that was also good for communities. We pitched the idea to the Queensland government. We talked to the Aboriginal Carbon Fund. They liked it. The Queensland government liked it. They committed to it as part of their 2017 election commitment. And I'm really pleased to say that last week, the first tranche of funding for that program went out and there's now $93 million and 680 jobs being created in projects that store carbon, protect wildlife habitat and good for the reef. So this is a seriously cool story. Three concerned citizens with a particular knowledge base focused on a particular problem and created a solution, a solution too good for their state government to refuse. So now, insulation. Over in Perth, probably around the same time that Drawdown was doing their modelling, an insulation installer was tackling a problem that he found in his industry in his state. I'm Stephen King from Australian Insulation Foundation. My small business, Austin Insulation, was just starting out and there was quite a big problem with the insulation industry at that point that gave insulation a bit of a stigma. Everybody was just going mad using electricity, especially new air cons were coming out in the market. It seems just to change people's theories from instead of getting insulation, let's just get a bigger aircon. And that made it very difficult for us. But I was actually getting quite a lot of phone calls from social housing tenants requesting insulation. And that made me think, what's going on here? How's this happening? Why are these tenants calling me? Why isn't the Department of Housing or social housing providing such basic needs to these tenants? And 
once I started digging around, finding out why this was the case, I was actually quite alarmed of the neglect that social housing tenants were having to deal with such simple and basic needs of thermal insulation on its own. We had to try and find a way to help social housing tenants. And then one night, it was very late, just popped into my head, why don't I just, you know, for the insulation I install for homeowners, why don't I just say $1 per square meter funds free insulation for social housing? And remarkably, it worked and it brought in a lot of business for the foundation. It improved my uh, financial status as well. I was actually able to create an income for myself. Insulation is such a simple thing as an addition to a household to make all the difference. Out of all your building fabric, insulation is the thing that really makes the difference. You can have a multi-million dollar home, but if it's got no insulation, then it's unbearable to live in. And it's noise pollution. And aircon on all day, it, nah, it's just a no-brainer. I think one of the major impacts that we've had on people's lives is just comfort within their own home. It's less stress, less mental stress, less physical stress, better air quality in the home by removing the old blow-in insulation and reduction of mould. It takes away the bad issues. Now you're living with equality and not only the quality, but the fact that you know that every time you don't have to turn on a heater or an aircon, you're doing something for the environment and you're reducing your own expenditure. Insulation, simple, it's such a no-brainer. It, it makes all the difference. It will reduce hospital visits, it will improve health, it will improve the environment and it will improve the hip pocket. So we'll put more money back into the community and that allows people to buy better food, better clothing and more clothing. And it's, it just goes on and on and on the benefits of such a simple thing. I mean, the four to six hours takes us to do the job and then life's improved. So in Australia, there aren't many ways to offset your carbon footprint, but there's so many other ways you can reduce carbon footprint. Insulation is a massive one. Well, 1.8 tonne from each household is reduced from the reduction of heating and cooling costs per year and as well as saving of $600. So if you've got 50,000 social housing properties, if every one of them was insulated and the savings are 1.8 tonnes per year, then you're looking at 90,000 tonnes per year of reduction of CO2. And that's astonishing considering that our CO2 levels for housing sits at 11%. You don't look to somebody else to do it. You do it yourself. And if you can't do it yourself, then find like-minded people to help you with your journey. Even if you spend whatever time you can to help an organisation or to help a person move slightly forward to reach their goals and their dreams and ambitions, and obviously if it improves people's lives, then just do it. So that's an example of the drawdown solution insulation being done on the ground in Australia by an ordinary guy in an ordinary business, solving a problem that makes a whole lot of things better for social housing tenants in Western Australia. Seriously cool. That's a couple of the existing commercial drawdown solutions, and there are a whole lot more. Some of them use really modern technology, 
the latest in solar and wind, while others are reapplying ancient wisdom adapted for today's world, solutions like biochar. Many involve systems changes, like our Aussie examples, not smart new technology. In the show notes for this episode, we'll include links to some introductory drawdown videos along with our open source solutions list. So if you're interested, you can get started today on exploring your options. Drawdown isn't the whole answer. I think of it more like a Lonely Planet guidebook. For everything that's in the guidebook, there's more. When you get out there on the ground and start looking, there's a whole lot of stuff that just isn't measured. Often what's measured isn't peer-reviewed. Some of the tech is so new there are no numbers yet. Other ancient solutions have just never been quantified. But they're being done. So when you see a news story that tells you that what we need to solve climate is big action from big government, smile. When you see a news story that's all about small, low-level action, that means you have to use less or you have to spend more on the proper stuff, smile. Because those two storylines are like the pastry layers of a vanilla slice. Necessary but not the good stuff. Once you start looking, there's a whole wealth of accessible action in the systems that we use every day. It's like traveling. You go out, you go to a place, and you look at what's there. And you don't need to travel very far, which is just as well during COVID. You can start locally looking for the problems that need solving where you are, the ecosystems that need regenerating, the communities that need restoration, and find ways to make those problems an opportunity. Yes, we face big problems. Yes, damage has been done. However, we have solutions. In Regionomics Down Under, we're exploring the solutions that are already happening and the design thinking behind them. So if you're over being told what the government should be doing and how you should stop using stuff, follow the podcast, read the show notes, explore Project Drawdown. There are fascinating solutions. And the people who are out there doing them are pretty awesome to hang out with too. Project Drawdown is a good start, so we'll finish with a final word from Paul Hawken. If I tell you what you should do, you should run, okay, because that's bullshit. And the thing you should do is what lights you up. The thing you should do is where you get turned on. And you can be sure if you're not doing something else, somebody else is. Thanks for joining us on Regionomics Down Under. We hope you enjoyed hearing about the Project Drawdown modelling as much as we did putting this episode together. And our thanks to sister shows Clean State and Climactic for allowing us to share their local examples. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to the Drawdown modelling results and to some awesome videos. 
Reachonomics Down Under is brought to you by the Climactic Collective, the podcast network by and for Australia's climate community. My name is Lee Baker and I've been your host today. I'd love to hear your feedback, especially any stories you have on the climate solutions happening on the ground in your region. You can give this show a rating and review and we'd really appreciate it if you did from our website, climactic.fm. Just click on leave a review or find us on podchaser.com, which is the IMDB for podcasts. This is the first episode of Regionomics Down Under. It's an ongoing series about the happening climate solutions that you might be part of. If you enjoyed it, follow the show. There's also a wealth of other climate content you can find at climactic.fm. The Climactic Collective is home to many other shows and we welcome new members. If you have any questions, suggestions or comments, just get in touch at hello at climactic.fm and you can find and follow us on social media where we are at Climactic Show. Here's to making the 2020s a decade of action on climate solutions. Keep active in these climactic times. This show is produced by Hear Media a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Studio.